You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Oh, you have come to such a sweet place, a special place. And I'm so glad that you've logged in or made the time to be here in this space to worship God. That's why we're here. So welcome. We want you to know that we're here to pray for you. If you're joining us online, if you're here in the space today, you can send us a prayer request. Go to our website at firstabq.org prayers. We want to be able to pray for you by name. So feel free to let us know who you are. Let us know how we can be praying for you. So years ago, I stumbled into a place that uh, I'm often at. I love going to bookstores. Still love brick and mortar bookstores. And I, and I was you know, strolling around this big box bookstore, and I found this little book called The Afterword, and it, it was a tiny book, the first novel by Mike Bryan. And I picked it up, and I started leafing through it, and I realized, hmm, there's something to this. And so I found one of those big, comfy, fluffy chairs, and I sat down. Now, the concept of this book's kind of hard for me to explain, because it's called The Afterword. And it's the afterword of a book that doesn't exist. A book that supposedly the author wrote called The Deity Next Door. And so the concept is, is that the author has been asked by the publisher, write an afterword to the book, tell us why you wrote it, some things about it, and we'll put it as a part of a, a bound copy, a special edition. Well, as I sat and I read through this, you have to pick up and infer what the original novel was about, The Deity Next Door. And here's the story, as much as I can piece together, that there was a guy named Blaine. It's a pretty boring name. And he's someone just like us, who figures out that he is God. That's, that's what he recognizes, that he is God. And so he starts trying to figure out what to do with his God power. And he does the things that maybe some of us might do. He, do. he does some walking on water. He does some healing. He does crazy things, including even meeting with a priest where he's trying to figure out what to do with his life as God. Now, I wanted to read you a couple of little clips from the book. Here's what it says on page 90. In the incarnation, God becomes human. I don't think this has received enough attention that humans become God. And then on page 114, now I really understood the Christian faith. Quite simply, it wagers everything on the power of a single person, Jesus Christ, to define and change lives. Now I was kind of taken aback by this because the author is an avowed agnostic, and it was really an interesting work. Now, I don't know what you would do if you came across a book where the main character is, figures out that he's God. You might just put it on the shelf and look around to see if your preacher is anywhere around, seeing you read this book. Something about how we might approach that book tells us about what we believe of Jesus, and maybe even what we think Jesus came to do. So now, I want to turn to a different book. In fact, if you're able to stand, I want to get you to stand one more time, more audience participation. And I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. The gifts that Christ gave 
were that some would be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us comes to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. As each part is working properly, promoting the body's growth in building itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this story, for me, gets at a core identity. I mean, it is a center place that I love to go. If you wonder what makes Brady tick as a minister, this is one of those passages that really is deep within my bones. And if you look at it, it's about Christ giving us gifts, giving us gifts of leaders that are for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ so that we'll all be together, unified in our faith, and so that we'll be built together in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I want to spend some time with this. In fact, I'll spend more time on these effects of the gifts next week. But today, I want to draw your attention to verse 13, the goal, the aim, the target of what all this is about. These gifts, of building up the body, of equipping the church for the work of ministry. What's, what's the goal? And in verse 13, he says it straight up. The goal is to reach all people to the maturity level of Christ. Wow. That our goal in ministry is to get everyone to where they reach that full stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Really? Seriously? Is that what it's about? I mean, we know about adulthood. Adulthood is when you begin to put behind infantile things, childish things. You let go of some of those teenage tendencies and you take on the roles of adulthood. We, we know about that kind of maturity, but Christ as the benchmark? I mean, how can this possibly be true? That seems like a standard that's impossible to reach. How do we reach this level? In the spring, Don and I and Lizzie got to take some trips to, to see some colleges. And we went to some state schools, we went to some Christian schools, and uh, we saw this painting on the side of a building on Biola's campus. And in this painting, uh, you see a towering Jesus. In fact, it's like a three-story building, and, and Jesus kind of has this really intimidating look in his eyes, and he's holding out the Bible. Now, I don't really understand why Jesus is holding a Bible, a leather-bound, but he's holding a Bible. Well, I made Donna and Lizzie take a picture of me. Can you see me there, down there around Jesus' shin or ankle? That's where I'm at. And I said, I want you to take a picture of me because here's my caption. You must be this high to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's my caption for this picture. 
And I, I'm not making it, right? I mean, if Jesus lets go of that Bible, it's going to go smack right on my head. I mean, that's what I feel like when I read this verse that we're supposed to all, all of us, reach the measure of the fullness of Christ. I mean, to me, that feels like telling a high school basketball team, hey, it's okay, guys. We just want you to reach the full measure of the stature of LeBron James. That's all. That's what we want for each and every one of you. That's the benchmark. That's the standard to be on the team. Or what about a business graduate from college? All right, graduates, we just want you to know that we, we really just want you to reach the stature of Elon Musk, the richest man who walks the planet. We, that's just where we want you to be. I feel intimidated by that kind of a standard that's the test that all of us are supposed to meet. It feels like it's impossible to reach. Feels like we can't grow into that. It feels like a benchmark that's not fair to impose upon people. When I look at this and I think about how we develop, sometimes our, our bodies outgrow our spirits. Our spirits are kind of small. For others, that spirit is much larger than their bodies. And I look and I think about verses like verse 15 that were to grow up into all things, into the head, which is Christ Jesus, or verse 13, reaching this full measure of the stature, and I think I just can't do it. But this is what it's all about. This is the goal of Christianity, to reach the fullness of Jesus Christ, each one of us. And it's something of a passion of mine. It's what I want for and I long for. It's what I hope is taught in Kids Clubhouse. It's, hope, it's what I hope the teens pick up. It's what I hope all of our adults and our leaders see, that you reach the level of Jesus Christ. Now, it's difficult for us because sometimes that growth is out of proportion. We had our beautiful babies up on the stage. You know, finest babies, finest parents up here. And if you look at babies, their heads are, are bigger than their bodies. Now don't get, I hope they can't hear me. And sometimes those babies' heads are small or large, but whatever the baby's size of head, in proportion to its body, it's a lot bigger. In fact, the eyeballs are the same eyeballs, the same size that they'll have their whole life. And you have to grow into that body. It takes development and maturity. It takes time for the body to catch up with some of that equipment that God has given us. And here we're growing into the image of Jesus Christ. Whatever great strategies we have, whatever great plans that we lay out, wisdom that we have or thoughts that we have, all of that comes from Christ. And some of us, at times, neglect these gifts that are given to us. We choose to remain infants. We choose to stay with maybe the great knowledge that we have or the little knowledge that we have, and we just remain like children, kind of floating like a cork in the ocean, carried this way and that. When our path is to be one of growth, of maturity. Also on that trip where Donna and Lizzie and I got to go to the West Coast, we spent some time looking at the sets of Friends and some things off the set of The Big Bang Theory and Young Sheldon. 
You probably know some of these shows. Well, I kind of saw this little piece of uh, paraphernalia off in the corner that was a door frame, you know, like what goes around the door. And it was pulled off of the stage set of young Sheldon. And what they had done whenever they first started shooting that show is take the, the actor that plays young Sheldon and they would put a little mark of how tall he was and put the date. And I don't know, maybe these are TV producers wanting to see how much did he grow over the last year, but they had a whole door frame of how he has grown through the years. It made me think about my own growing up. Whenever I would go and visit my parents who lived in Las Vegas, that's exactly what they would do for me and Kelly. Right at the front door, there was a closet. They would back us up to that closet door. They would get a little pencil mark and put our initials very small and the date. And we could see what our progress was over those days, over those years, how far it was from a trip, how long it had been. When we look at what our yardstick is, our yardstick is Christ. At first, that's what we're about. We are trying to follow Jesus. There are lots of things that churches could be focused in on. You know, some churches are focused on teach them and dunk them and then give them a job and sign them up. And those things are important. But the end, what we're shooting for in everything that we do is that we will take on this full stature of Jesus Christ. That is the goal, to reach that maturity level of Christ. And it's all through Ephesians. Ephesians is chock full of this. If you look in chapter 3, verse 19, it talks about us being filled with the fullness of God. Or what we read in chapter 4, verse 13, to take on this full stature of Jesus Christ. Or later, in verse 24, where we're told to wear God and His likeness. Chapter 5, verse 1, we are to imitate God. This is our standard. And it's still kind of uncomfortable to think about us being the deity next door, but that's what God is calling us to. Not that we become God or replace God or displace God in any way. In fact, what God has done is to join us in this whole journey. Because Christ is with us. He is the one that's giving us these gifts of this lifestyle. Christ is the goal, the one that we're striving for, and Christ is the means. He's the one walking with us along this entire journey. So when I look at that wall Jesus and see that I don't measure up, sometimes we do think about yards and meters and think about there's no way we could ever reach that. And, you know, it's not fair to think about life with Jesus as being on a Disneyland ride where you must be this tall to enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't make sense at all. That's not what it's about. That measurement is not meant to be a measurement of judgment that says you can't join in this journey. You're not to enter. It is what we aspire to. It is our daily task. In fact, as each one of you go about your days, and I, I hear these stories, there aren't occasions where someone mistakes you for Christ. That, that wouldn't work. There's only one Christ. There's only one God. But there are times when they see what you do or what you don't do. 
They see the way you carry yourself, and they see flashes of Christ. Christ is shining through the fullness of God. The glory of Jesus is there in its presence, and it's in those flashes that we see we're a part of this process, this God process of becoming more and more like God, more and more like Jesus, and it's a journey. Again, we had our babies up on the stage, and it's fun to see them. Uh, some are, are a little bit older and don't need anyone to hold up their heads, and others are a little bit younger and need their heads held up. If we put them down on the ground, we probably would have a few that would run away, right? They'd be flipping over trying to crawl. They're all at different levels. Well, let's just imagine last week. Do you remember what we were doing last week? We were honoring our, our high school graduates. Now, if we had our high school graduates and it was the same scene, our high school graduates were just cooing or crawling around on the stage or unable to talk, unable to feed themselves, we'd be a little worried. We'd at least know that we're a parent taking care of a child that needs extra help, right? There is development, there is progress that takes place in our lives that must take place. And for me, this verse, this passage, talks about that development in a real way. I told you it's at the core, it's at the crux of who I am as a minister. It's also who I am in terms of being a parent. Long before we even thought about having kids, this was the passage that I would go to. And for sure, whenever Dawn and I found out we were pregnant with our first and our second, this is what we thought of. Because we are about developing our children to look like Jesus Christ. That's what the goal is. That's what we're aiming for. In fact, we phrased it this way, that we're equipping them for service in the body so that they're spiritually and physically full-grown. That when they're grown, they are fully functional adults that are measured by the stature of Jesus Christ. Because we want them to function well, to order their lives with Christ, to make their decisions in light of God, to, to arrange their schedule full of the Holy Spirit. Now, parents, I know we all have lots of rules, and if what our kids learn from us is our rules or they become rule followers, then we're off the track, right? Hear me say this. If we just develop rule followers, we've failed. Sometimes we get focused in on those rules. We get focused in on those guidelines. You know, don't cuss. Be careful who you, careful who you hang out with. Don't sleep around. Don't, don't use drugs. All these rules that we have. And we get so focused, and maybe if you're lucky, your child follows all the rules. God bless you. But if they just follow the rules and we don't have this lens that's focused in on becoming like Christ, we've missed it. Because all of those guidelines and those rules are intended to make human beings look more and more like Jesus. Because we're wanting to create the environment where they naturally and easily do what disciples do. They naturally and easily follow Jesus in every circumstance where mistakes and tragedies and difficulties that come, successes and celebrations, all of those that come, all of them 
are opportunities to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus. No thing is too small, no mistake is too big that it doesn't fit that filter, that it doesn't come under that umbrella where we consider our lives of how we become more and more like Jesus. And that takes those episodes and moves them beyond lectures into a different frame of who we're becoming like. And I think that means that we have to not just look at ourselves as parents, but look at ourselves as individuals of who we're becoming. And you might want to step back and just think about your own life. Who are you becoming? Who are the people that you're saying no to time and time again? What are the opportunities that you're rejecting and setting by the wayside? Those committees, the opportunity to be a youth sponsor, serving in various ministries, being an elder, all of these things that we say no to, we, we forget. You don't always have to be the leader. Sometimes you're needed to be a partner, someone who participates in service, someone that co-leads, that's in the journey together. Maybe we have to think not just about the opportunities that are given to us, but even our own job. How is it that we use our jobs and we lift them up and we learn so many great things in our jobs, but we don't apply them, what we've learned, to our work in church? All that expertise that we've gained, God provides as an opportunity for us to use in the kingdom of God. Our hobbies, our kids, our spouses, the speeches that we give, the way that we talk, it matters, it's important. But what do our kids and our spouse and our coworkers see about who we are? Because it's how we live right now that matters. Let's think again about our babies one more time. If we were to have both groups up, our babies this week and our high school graduates from last week, there's about, what, 17 years of difference between that? Think about your own spiritual life. Are you the same as you were 17 years ago? Are you committed at the same level as you were 15 years ago or five years ago? Is your level of spiritual development, your pursuit of God, the same or is it more or is it less? Where is it in relation to that? Because how we live right now matters. You are the one that people will see as embodying the life of God. They don't often spend time talking with a minister. They don't even want to really be around ministers. But they, they look at you and they see how you live. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. In fact, I think it's even more surprising whenever they see the mistakes that are in your life and they see how you deal with those mistakes and how you own them and how they don't define you. What is it that you're doing to offer your life to the world? If we're not careful, a lot of times we'll just treat this life of Jesus as something about Jesus dying for us and something about what happens to us when we die and everything about Christianity is just about death. When I think Christianity is about life and what happens right now, you know, if we're not careful, we'll teach our children, we'll teach the generations after us that what, all that really matters is what happens to you when you die, forgetting that we're living a life right now. And so we teach them to be self-reliant, we teach them to 
be self-initiative and be smart in this present. And then when they get older, they think, well, Jesus is something that happens whenever I get a job. Or Jesus is someone that I involve in my life whenever I retire. Whenever I need that death insurance. That's when I need to pull Jesus back into my life. When Jesus is inviting us into this path of maturity right now. Through our times of difficulty and through our successes. And so we have to look at our lives and say, how am I becoming and looking more and more like Christ? How am I looking like Christ when I make that cutting comment? How am I looking like Christ whenever I stereotype that person without really knowing who they are? How am I becoming like Christ in a three-hour game? Or when I volunteer or choose not to volunteer? Have I truly invited God to the table of my decision-making? To sit down with God and say, what is it that I'm going to do with my life? How am I going to make decisions about this issue that's happening on the work front right now? In my love life? In my sex life? Am I learning that love and sex matters and that who I am and how I carry myself sexually matters? And in fact, sex may not always even be the best way to show love. It's certainly not the only way. How can I do so in a way that honors God? My career, my talents, what God has given me and gifted me to do. How do I put that to use in service of the kingdom? How do I give away my time and give away my expertise for the benefit of other people? To take that risk. I think there are times when God gets excited when he sees us when we're taking that risk. To step out and accept that leadership responsibility. To accept that opportunity to serve alongside of other people. To build up the body of Christ. Because through Christ, God's given us these gifts. He's granted these gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ in love as each one of us does our work. So it may be a little weird for me to pull out that strange old book called The Afterword by Mike Bryan. And for us to even think about being the deity next door, it's certainly not what he intended as an agnostic author. But I think it gets us to think about our own life. We're not just following God so that we can do magic tricks, levitate lamps, or be able to have some kind of power where we could be the home run king or learn the ins and outs of the stock market. It's not magic in that sense. We're about becoming like God. We're involved in this process of looking like His Son. That is the outright goal of Christianity. It's something that our kids should learn in Clubhouse. It's something that our teens learn in youth group. And adults of all levels learn about growing into the image of Jesus Christ. It shows up. It's around. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or in Philippians 2.5, have the attitude of Christ. Or 1 John 2.6, walk as Jesus walked. All through Scripture, we see this invitation. Not to stand against a wall and measure ourselves up against Christ of something that seems impossible, but to imagine that Christ comes and wants to live with you. 
to live in your heart with the talents that He's given you to partner in living your life together with Christ where you can grow and become more and more transformed, as Paul says, from one degree of glory into another. What a mysterious journey that that references of becoming more and more like God. That is our goal, taking on the image of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a good God. You've, you take us as lumps of clay and you know our deformities. You know our weaknesses. And we thank you. We thank you for taking us as we are and giving us great responsibility. We thank you for parents like Rob and Laura, for Josh and Leslie, for Sydney and JT, for Katie and Joel. These are some of the best parents, God, and we just we thank you that you're using their strengths and their weaknesses to bless their children. God, we ask that we'll all have a vision, a vision of following your son, following Jesus, something that all of us can do, that all of us are in on this journey for a lifetime and beyond. God, we pray and we ask that you take us as these lumps of clay and do with us what you will. Use us for your glory to build up the body of Christ, to equip other people for works of service. And we pray this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.